If you haven't uh, been here, we've been going through what we call the Sermon on the Mount. You're actually, we're actually at the last stage of the sermon. Uh, Jesus wraps this up, so you either came on week where we were in chapter 5, 6, or 7. I don't know which one. Maybe you've been here for all of them, but this is it, and this is the final. Jesus wraps it up. Today, before I start, I just want to say I, ca- I came across an approach to this sermon by another pastor in Texas, and uh, he approached it really well. Um, so I'm using a little bit of his material. Um, I'm just giving credit where credit is due. Uh, it's mostly in the middle. It's not, it's, most of the stuff is original, okay? But not everything is original. There's nothing new under the sun. So everything is kind of recycled, but just letting you know, I'm giving credit where credit is due. Um, if anybody heard that saying, did you ever hear that saying? It's a secular saying, every choice you make makes you. Me neither. I just heard it the other day. And so some guy said that every choice you make makes you. Now, I didn't know who came up with this number, but um, it says that in our day, the average person makes about 35,000 decisions a day. That's a lot of choices. Is that, yeah, probably some more than others. But 35,000, not 3,500, 35,000 choices a day, starting from the moment you wake up until the time you go to bed. And the choices we make not only shape and form the person you are today, but they also reveal what's going on within the heart. They reveal to us and others, people around us, what we love. They reveal to people what we trust in. They reveal to people what we want, what we desire. And oftentimes, when the Word of God is being taught, um, Jesus makes his way into those spaces. You feel me? Like, that's kind of what the sermon's all about. That's what he does. He makes it very clear, like line drawn, very clear for us to see that this is his way and that's your way. Like this is my way and that's your way, right? And and as Jesus comes to the end of his sermon, he gives us here three illustrations. We're going to be, sorry, Matthew chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, please open to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be starting in verse 13, but he gives us, as you're turning there, he gives us three illustrations these illustrations are his way of kind of wrapping things up. Like a good pastor, he finished the bulk of the sermon, and then at the end of the sermon, he's like, I'm going to finish with this, and it goes for another 25 minutes. So that's kind of, the, so that's kind of what this is. Um, and they are designed, these illustrations here, as we read through them, to help us respond rightly to everything that Jesus taught us. That's what they're doing. They're designed to help us respond rightly to everything that Jesus taught. And, and, and the way that Jesus does this is by laying out illustrations that only have two options. That's it. Two. Two options. The first illustration he carves out, two paths. One is narrow and the other one is broad or wide. Maybe they call it Broadway? The broad? No? Okay, never mind. One is broad, one is wide, and the other is narrow. The second illustration is about two trees. He talks about two trees. Uh, There's one tree that bears good fruit and the other tree bad fruit. And the third illustration that Jesus ends with is he compares two houses. One house that was built on the sand and the other house that was built on a rock. And what Jesus is doing is laying out only two ways we can approach him and his sermon. That's it. Two options. There's only two ways we can approach him and everything that he just taught. There's nothing in the middle. And Jesus makes it very clear for us to see what we're walking into or what we're walking away from. It's not what's behind gate number five. There's only two gates. You're not guessing 
It's this way or that way. It's this tree or that tree. It's this house or that house. It's this foundation or that foundation. And there is no confusion. You're not going to be confused. Jesus wants us to know in this last part of his sermon, it's him or it's not. That's it. It's him or it's not. He doesn't want us to guess, and so he makes it very clear for us, to, uh, for us to know which path is his and which path is not. And for me, this is one of those harder sermons. I think I was talking to Jared about this earlier. It's just, there is no other, there's just two roads. There's just two foundations. There's just two. And it's, it's him or it's not. And so we're going to read Matthew 7, starting in verse 13, and we're going to read through it, and then we're going to walk through it. Verse 13 says this, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who, I'm in the ESV, by the way, sorry. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. It says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Verse 24 says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and a great was the fall of it. Verse 28 says this, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for your word. We pray you speak to us, Lord, clearly, directly, Lord. There, let there be no confusion tonight, God. And um, I just pray that you would soften our hearts for the message, Lord. I just pray you speak through me, Lord. Um, I pray your words come forth, not my words, Lord God. And Pray you fill this room with your spirit tonight. Help us to receive the truth, Lord, for what it is. And we thank you, God, for who you are. You, we know you love us and you show us your grace and mercy every day of our lives. And so help us to be aware of that tonight. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. When I first started the Sermon on the Mount, I started back in Matthew chapter 4. So you guys can go read back in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was actually making his way through Galilee. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That's what it says in Matthew. He came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Where, Well, Jesus, um, in the book of Luke, uh, what happens is that the Pharisees ask, well, where is this kingdom? Right? He asked, Jesus, where is this kingdom? And well, Jesus answers like this, it's not a kingdom, and I just told him, it's not a kingdom that you're able to see right now, but he says it's in your midst. 
Other translations say that it's among you, it's within you. Uh, He's saying to his followers that this kingdom is within you, it's among you, it's here, it's now, and it's coming. Like that, that's what he's, it's here, but it's coming. Right? So he came to bring the kingdom, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, so it's here, but it's coming. And I think I taught this like the already, but not yet. Right? Like it's there already, but it's not yet. So it's on its way here. And so every, every time I think about this, every time that I have to think about this, I realize for my life and for your life, it's getting closer and closer to, one, the, the, to, to that day meeting. That, that every day that I think about it, for me and for you, it's like, this day and that day that's coming, it's getting closer. Right? Like we are one day closer to Jesus coming back. We are one day closer to that day. And so, right? So where, where Jesus is not only ruling and reigning within our hearts, because that's what he really meant. He's not just ruling and reigning within our hearts, but he will be here ruling and reigning here on earth. Like physically. Like that's the kingdom. Like physically and us with him. So just picture that, that's, that's, hap- that's gonna happen because, right? And so what Jesus is trying to do is in these illustrations, bring us into that future. That's what he's, he's trying to bring us there because all throughout this sermon, Jesus has been teaching kingdom ethics. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. Jesus is teaching kingdom ex- ethics. This is what my people look like in my kingdom. Right, one pastor says it like this, he lays it out in a way, where you cannot, a way where you cannot live this life without him and you cannot follow him without living this life. Like it's pretty, it's, it's, it's just that way, it's him or it's not. It's all of him for all of you. I think I said that last week. And we know this because he teaches things like committing adultery, that it's not in the action, right? It's, it's past the action, that it's not in the action, but adultery begins in the where? Heart. He begins at the heart. He talks about giving, but giving with the right motivation. And so the more I read this, uh, read through this sermon, or I read through this sermon, I realize I've fallen short of a lot of things here. Every time Jesus brings something up, he's like, oh, I do that, but oh, it's not, it's not the way I thought I was supposed to be doing it. And so my only hope is to come to Jesus for what? Salvation. He's the only one that can save me, but right, Jesus doesn't end that way, does he? See, Jesus continues to lay out before us a life that is now lived out in his kingdom. And if that's where we are today in his kingdom, and we know that his kingdom is coming, then by his teachings, isn't Jesus showing us what life is supposed to look like? And so every time we're going through these teachings, isn't Jesus showing us this is how God intended the human life to be always lived? And not just lived, but the only way to live. I got convicted of this. So the question for us isn't, can I live this life? Because no way. The question for us, can I live this life? Am I able to do what Jesus asks me to do? No, the question is, do you believe that this is the only way to live? That's the question. Do you believe that any other life isn't living if it's not this one? (laughs) Because in this illustration, he's saying there's a narrow path and a wide path. That's what he starts with. And the wide path, man, there are a lot of people on it. You know, it's broad, it's big. There's a lot of people. Misery loves company, so everybody's there. Right? You have people who have nothing to do with religion, so that's what we think about, right? People that are irreligious, they're not, people who are living their own lives and seeking their own wills and just kind of doing their own thing, and then you have the religious people on that path. 
right? Like the Pharisees and the scribes who believe they can get into the kingdom by their good deeds and whoever else falls into that category of religion. And then we have the narrow path, right? We have this narrow gate and that's where Jesus is. He's saying that anybody who is not with me is on the wide path. Jesus is saying, I'm the narrow gate. And I think we know this. I'm the only gate, and I'm the only way. Pastor Steve preaches this all the time. It's Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. That's it. But do we often consider what the sermon was telling us to do? Do we often consider what Jesus was teaching us throughout the sermon? Especially with the Sermon on the Mount, there are three pages of this is what my people look like. Jesus gave us examples of what success looks like in his kingdom. And I'm just going to recap just a little bit that the, that the person who is blessed is the one who is poor in spirit and gentle. But if my definition of blessed isn't mourning and persecution, then I think I've missed something. If I have a different de- definition of what Jesus says blessed is, then I've missed something. He, he goes into what our purpose in life is, then that we are called to be the what? Salt and the light of this earth. But if my purpose in life is different than being a reflection of who God is, then I've missed something. He talks about what to do with our money, how to treat all people. He talks about where our treasure is. And what Jesus shows us is that there are two gates, but also two roads. He shows us that there are two gates, but also two roads. That when you enter through this narrow gate, it comes with leaving everything you knew behind. He says, when you enter through this gate, it comes with you leaving everything behind. Everything that you would have carried with you on this wide path cannot fit through this narrow gate. And Jesus knew within this sermon, there would have been people who would not agree with this. There was people in this sermon that's kind of, mm, I don't think that's me. Right? Not all, but some. Like, I love that you mentioned making peace and the showing mercy to people today, but what did you say about generosity? Right? Like, that's mine. Or I didn't like that part where you came after my treasure. Like, that's my treasure. Or when you asked me to forgive somebody when I didn't want to. Or that time you told me to love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me. And Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Like, he knew exactly what he was doing here. Because somewhere in this sermon, he knew it would have clashed with what I believed in. He knew somewhere along the lines, preaching this sermon, it would have definitely clashed what I thought life was, what I thought, how I thought life was supposed to be lived, and it's at that moment where Jesus is saying, it's me. It's only me. Tim Keller, Tim Keller, if you guys ever listen to Tim Keller, he's awesome. Tim Keller said this, if your God never disagrees with you, you might be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. And so the point of all this is that if we are coming to Jesus for salvation, that's why we're here, for coming to him for salvation for, of our souls, the gate, then we are also coming to him for the reign and rule of our lives, the path. The gate and the path go together. And in a world where we have the freedom to kind of choose what we want to do, when we want to do or don't want to do, we cannot view Jesus' sermon this way. We cannot view the word of God this way. I was convicted of this, like I was wrestling heavy with this, kind kind of like a menu. You know, you go to a restaurant, you pick up a menu, you can pick and choose what you want and what we don't like or we do like or what doesn't line up with our lives or my beliefs or my way of life. Jesus is saying that it's only me and all of me. (sighs) That narrow. 
We should not mistake in him for one road among many. There's only two. One that leads to destruction and one that leads to life. And then he moves into the next illustration in verse 15. He says, beware of false prophets. I'm just going to read it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? I, and, that, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, this is a scary verse, and I kind of like thought, like, man, he's, I don't know what he's, I have to kind of really dig into this. And so the first thing that Jesus does show us is that there are only two ways. And he lays it out so easily for us so that if we choose Jesus, it's him and only him. But what Jesus does all throughout this sermon is show us that it also requires all of us. The gift of salvation is free, but trust me, it'll cost you everything. That it's all of him for all of me. And how he did this was that he went past the performance. Remember that? He went past the performance, our religious activity. He went past the profession of faith, past all of the church attendance, past all of the giving, the praying, and the fasting, and all of the religious activity. And he went straight into the heart. And he asked, why do we do the things that you do? Like, why are you doing the things that you do? Like, he's so good. He enters into those spaces of our hearts that most people cannot see. Like, if I just seen you like this, I wouldn't know that. I wouldn't know that you had a different agenda. I wouldn't know that you really did trust in him or not, right? We can put on the, we can come in, put on the performance, but he's going past all that. So he goes into the heart, right? And he enters into those spaces where people cannot see. He's, he, he's been knocking on doors that we always keep closed. But because God is a good father, and I said this, he's like sticking us into an MRI. He's been showing us time and time again where we're sick, Time and time again. And over time, we see that it was better to let go of that anger. I know it was for me. That it was better to forgive that person. It was better to give up our lustful appetites. We see that it was better to love those who hate us. Because over and over again, man, it's the devil's game. You give in to these things, the result is always the same. Shame, guilt, and a type of emptiness. I always feel that. It's this type of emptiness, and the issue never goes away. And on this broad path, there seems to be a type of Christianity that's easy and it's driven to only serve our purpose. I see that today. Like there is this type of Christianity that never clashes with the believer's will or never demands anything of them, ever. And today, there is this type of trusting in Jesus without having to do what he says. There is a profession of faith in Jesus Christ today that has nothing to do with conforming your life to his, rather his to yours. And that is a dangerous game to play. I didn't understand how heavy this was. It was for me. 
And so Jesus introduces us to these false prophets who are good with their words and are extremely gifted. They knew what to say. They knew their theology. They knew the Christian language because they talked about God rightly. They didn't just call Jesus Lord. They called him Lord, Lord. Right? It wasn't just Lord. It was like, hey, Lord, Lord. This is like a, I don't know if you, you guys can study that later. It's like Lord, Lord. And yet, Jesus says to be aware of these people. And the way that you'll tell them apart is not by their many words or how rightly they speak about God, but you'll know them by their what? Fruits. Because there's only two trees. There's only two trees in this story. Jesus didn't correct them on how well they spoke about him or how well they speak about God to others when other people are around. That's not what they were corrected for. It's because what they knew and what they were saying didn't line up with who they were. What they were saying and what they were teaching or what they said rightly about God did not line up with who they were. So just because I know the language, and this is for me as a pastor, and I study the doctrine and I have all the right things to say, does not prove whether I follow Jesus or not. That's heavy. Just because I can speak about God, talk about God rightly, does not mean I know him and he knows me. And I think I've said this in a message before, but one of the loudest things that speak, that speaks in a life of a believer isn't what they know about God or what they say about him. And I think we live in that time today where your idea and your view of God is the most important view. See, what speaks loudest in the life of a believer, and I said this, is a soul that's been saved and a life that's being transformed. And I say being because it's a process. Trust me, it's not. It is not easy. Because those two things always go together. They always go hand in hand, salvation and transformation. The gate comes with the path. Jesus preaches the same message in Luke 6 and says to the crowd, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and what does he say? And not do what I say. Like, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? One pastor said this, the, I'm giving credit where credit is due, just, just so you know, I, yeah, so. The Christian life isn't just about knowing more things, but obeying what you already know. The Christian life isn't just about knowing more things, but obeying what you already know. And hear me out, because you're not saved by works. That's not what I'm preaching. That is not the gospel. You are saved by grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone. But it is a contradiction to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't obey him. Now that's weird. You follow Jesus? I'm a follower. You obey him? Mm, sometimes. That sounds weird, right? It's asking God to save me. It's like asking God to save me, but I'm going to continue living the way I want to live. Well, then what are we being saved from? Hell? One more quote, and it went like this. Heaven is not a place for people who are scared of hell, and I love this. This was pretty cool. Heaven is not a place for people who are scared of hell. Heaven is a place for people who love God. And so no matter how much you speak about God, how much you know about him, people will always be known by their what? Fruit. And what is this fruit? It's love. The fruit is love. 
You will see their love for God because genuine love always produces glad-hearted obedience and not just lip service, Lord, Lord. It's an ever-growing, not perfect, ever-growing, not perfect, but consistent obedience to the king and his kingdom. It's not perfect. See, they show a love that is not deserved, but given to their enemies. It's like, I see that. It is meekness when strength is praised in this world. It is peacemaking when we are told to pick sides. It is generosity without being noticed. It's showing mercy to people when everyone wants to judge them. It is you and I on this narrow path while everyone else is saying to us that we're crazy or there's another way or no, Christianity is like this or it's this way. Jesus is saying, do not be, do not be deceived. I am the only way. And in no way are we going to live this perfectly all out. I, I'm not, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm going to, there's no way. Or else why would we need to be saved? But the point here is, this love for Jesus will not only produce joyful obedience, but we will always consider his will before ours. This genuine love for God will not be perfect obedience, but we will always consider God's will before ours. And over time, as you get to know him more and study his word, I pray you guys are reading your Bibles at home. I pray you guys are studying your Bibles at home. I pray that you guys are spending that time with the Lord. He will reveal to you more and more what life was supposed to look like. This is it. Mitchell always says that this is doctrine. Right? Don't listen to anybody else. Just read this. This is it. But it doesn't end there. Which brings us to our last story. Verse 24 to 29. And he says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And Jesus ends this sermon here and we're done with the Sermon on the Mount and, but Jesus ends with giving us a choice. I remember I, I started with that. Jesus ends with giving us a choice. He's not forcing us to do anything but he is making it pretty clear. Remember I said earlier that we make about 35,000 decisions a day? That's a lot of decisions. But Jesus only gives us two. He says there's people who are going to hear my words like tonight, consider them, think about them, and walk away because it's not really for them. And so what they do is go and find their purpose and meaning in life somewhere else. And if you notice in the illustration, the rain, the wind, and the flood didn't just come for them, the people that walked away. It came to both houses. Like there is no exception to bad weather. Everybody's getting hit. But only one house stood. Only one house stood against it. And so maybe you find success in life, you pursue and chase after everything you want, and then you throw a little bit of church in there. It wasn't all Jesus, but I thought it was enough. It wasn't all him, but I thought it was enough. I thought that was it. I thought I saw, I came to church, I opened my Bible, I gave my money, I lift my hands when he told me lift my hands. 
That's not what he's talking about, is he? Because these foundations have nothing to do with success, religious activity, church attendance. These foundations are talking about our response to Jesus and his teaching. That's it. He's saying, whatever you do in life, if it's not me, it won't last. (laughs) I don't know how else to put it. He's saying, whatever you do, if it's not me, it won't last. Whatever you try to build upon, if it's not upon me, it won't last. And what he's doing, he's calling us closer to him tonight. That's it. To step in closer to him. Maybe you just came here to hear and then leave. A lot of people did that. Like, I want you to know that Jesus wants you. And not just your performance. He wants all of you. And I've been saying that for the past how many weeks? He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants all of you, all of your struggles, all of your pain, depression and anxiety and discontent. He wants that. What are you withholding from him right now? Because he knows. Like he wants you. This is the same drum that's been beating throughout his sermon. It's all of him for all of you. All of him for all of you. That's the deal. Not all of him and I'm just going to get sober. It's not all of him, I'm just going to stop sleeping around. It's all of it. All, no, it's all of him for all of you. That's what he wants. That's the deal on the table. And so for the rest of us, let's step into what God has for us. Let's fall more in love with Jesus now, today, and grow more in our intimacy with him. I pray for a fresh fire to be burning for him and his kingdom. Amen? Father, bless these men and women tonight. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in all of these people's lives. Lord, I pray, Lord, that there will be a fresh flame, Lord. I pray your spirit fall upon every person here tonight as they go home, Lord. I pray that they would have a desire, a hunger and thirst to want to know you, to love you, and to obey you, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them throughout this week, Lord, and I pray that you would speak to them in a very, powerful and unique way we love you and we praise you god we as you bless those children bless chauncey's heart out there is he out there he's out there right bless his heart lord thank you god for his willingness to serve and serve the kids lord in this church because they're the ones upcoming the upcoming generation lord so father i pray you give them wisdom beyond their years and i pray that you would be with us here tonight god as we fellowship and and spend time together lord We love you and we thank you for all that you're doing here in this body at Calvary Chapel North Shore. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.